Um, I want to do a kind of, of uh, summary of the whole message of 2 Timothy. Um, but I don't want to leave it at that either because um, when I set out to write a summary of 2 Timothy, it kind of morphed and shaped and twisted around and I ended up doing something which is slightly different. And you'll, you'll pick it up as we go along. But what I want to try and do is, is to look through a lot of the implications of, of the pastoral epistles and indeed... Uh, the idea of ministry uh, as the New Testament gives us, gives it to us, uh, for us as a church. Um, now we've all grown up in various traditions, both old and new, uh, and no matter how hard you try, you're always influenced by the structures and traditions that you grow up in. And that's by no means a bad thing, uh, but it becomes a bad thing when our traditions and our own personal likes and dislikes become so sacred that we aren't prepared uh, to reform them. Having preached through 2 Timothy and mentored people using and trained people using 2 Timothy, I've thought a lot about its message, uh, its applications. Over this past probably five years, maybe more than five years now, I've read so many books on how we do church and how uh, we do discipleship. Um, If I read another one, I'll probably go insane. But the best ones have been uh, The Trellis and the Vine by um, Tony Payne and Colin Marshall uh, and Total Church by Steve Chester and and Steve Timmons. And the reason I mention these is because a lot of the ideas that these books uh, come up with are simply biblical principles fleshed out into practical ideas. Uh, A lot of what I want to say tonight is, uh, well, could be said comes from those books. Maybe in some ways it may be better you just go home and read them, um, but we'll try it. Uh, but I want to think about, I think uh, tonight, um, what I th- want to think about it is actually very important for the life and the health of, of our congregation. It's important uh, that all of us think about these things, not just uh, the leadership, the elders and deacons. 2 Timothy, as I've said before, could be described as a handbook for ministry in the last days. One of the very remarkable things about it is the fact that it is so very general. All that Paul says could in many ways uh, have been to any church or any church leader in the first century. Uh, It's not that it wasn't specific to Timothy and Ephesus. It's just that Paul's method of ministry is so wonderfully gospel-centered and focused that it is applicable in every age. The priorities that we've been looking at can be taken with very little difficulty from Ephesus to our own situation here. But it takes some thought as to actually how they might work themselves out. To go from theology to actual practical ministry. And that's what I want us to think about. To consider again a lot of the assumptions that we have, some very deliberate, others almost unconscious, unconsciously, Assumptions that we have and we hold about church. Now this will by no means be an exhaustive study. Uh, It's just something to try and get us to think through these things. I've put it under three general headings to to try and look at it. Firstly, uh, our ministry must have a real gospel focus or a gospel vision. Secondly, our ministry must be about people. And thirdly, our ministry will cost us. So 
Those are very general headings, and a lot of things I'm going to speak about could, could go under all three of them. And um, They're not limited to any one area, but I'll try and hold it under those three so that we can try and follow along with it. So all ministry must have a, a gospel vision. Again and again in this letter, we find Paul calling Timothy to faithfulness to the message that he preached. The definitive article regarding the apostolic gospel. A specific body of knowledge that he preached that when believed and followed resulted in eternal life and godliness in the present. Think of what he says in chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. And it's a message that occupies so much of Paul's thinking. He calls Timothy to guard it. To then be able to pass it on unchanged or unspoiled to the next generation that is coming after him. It's the gospel that Paul sees as the means of making disciples. To to train people in righteousness as he talks about in chapter 3 verse 17. As it's heard... As it's proclaimed and obeyed, it has an impact. It has an impact on people in the church, and we could say on those outside the church as well. The vision that Paul weaves into this letter is one of gospel growth. His own ministry was about spread the spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles. Now for Timothy, as he passed, as the baton has been passed on to him, that same principle applies. That gospel must grow. You can, see, uh, you can see it when he says in chapter 2 that he endures everything for the sake of the elect, that they might obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And in just a few verses previous, he spoke of the gospel not being chained even when he himself was chained in prison. Paul sees the proclamation of the gospel as the primary responsibility of the church. And from that, we see the transformation of the church and its impact on society as we are prepared for the good works. The growth of the gospel is the primary mission of the church. As we preach the gospel, which Paul would describe, of course, in Romans as the power of God for salvation, it makes an impact. Firstly, on the people of God and then the wider society. Now, no doubt you will say a very hearty amen to all that. But what will it look like for us to do this? You see, very often, church life in this country uh, is thought of solely in terms of church services. It's something people come to. Now, most of you will say, no, 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 that's rubbish. And you'd be right. Of course, the church is more than a Sunday service or two services on a Sunday. However, think about it a little more. If church is more than just Sunday services, what else is it? How much time do we spend doing church when we are not in a service? You see, it's perfectly possible for us to say that the church is more than a Sunday service, but by our actions, we still live as if that were true. We still live like running the services on Sunday is what the church is all about. Now again, please don't get me wrong on this. Services will always be an important part of what we do. People gathering together on the Lord's Day is very important. And it's right that we put a lot of effort into getting it right. 
But the question I want us to think about is simply this. Are we putting all our efforts and energies into Sunday services and leaving nothing, no energy for anything else, for being the church Monday through Saturday? Uh, I want to give you a book from, uh, sorry, a book, a quote from a book uh, by Steve Timmis and Tim Chester. It's a new book called Every Day at Church. Uh, I came across a quote from it on a blog, uh, which I was so applicable to this, I couldn't resist it, so I I put it in. Please uh, listen to this. One of the common assumptions when people fail to turn up to church is that we need to improve the experience of church gatherings, the product. We need better music, more relevant sermons, multimedia presentations, engaging dramas. Or we need to relocate to pubs, cafes, or art centres. We need cool venues with cool people and cool music. The problem with this approach is the assumption that people will come to church if the product is better. But remember that 70% of the UK population have no intention of attending a church service. 70%. And these figures are even higher among young people. Sunday morning in church is the one place where evangelism cannot take place in our generation because the lost are not there. Not until we go out to connect with them where they are, where they feel comfortable on their territory. We need to do church and mission in the context of everyday life. We must think of church as a community of people who share life, ordinary life. You see, when all our efforts are simply placed in the one basket of church services, we are severely limited in the impact we are having on the surrounding society at large. People no longer come to church or have any real intention of doing so. So there will always be a few. Of course, there will always be a few exceptions to the rule. However, it remains the case. If we expect people to come to our services to hear the gospel, then they may actually never hear it because they're not coming. So if that's the case, and we can't expect people to come through our doors, we must do church or be church where the people are. That doesn't mean, as Chester and Timmis point out, that we start running services in a pub or an art center or wherever it is. It means that the church, that is the people of God, must bring the gospel outside the building. Another thing I think it would be helpful for us to consider, and this uh, may or may not be an issue for some people, but there is a tendency to think about, about gospel ministry or gospel work as being all about evangelism. Now it is, don't get me wrong. But I think Paul's perspective on gospel work in this letter and indeed in the whole New Testament is a lot more to do with discipleship. Now, again, don't mishear me. I am not trying to separate evangelism and discipleship at all. They are in many ways connected. But there is a certain school of thought that exists. I grew up in it. That suggests all we need to do is get out there, get people converted, and that's it. We're on a sinking ship. Save as many as you can. But the idea of discipleship comes at it from a very different angle. Discipleship is from contact with the gospel 
right through to conversion, right through your whole life, right through to receiving that crown of righteousness at the last judgment. Making disciples is very, very long term. It sees gospel ministry as taking a person from point A, the first contact with the gospel, right through their whole life. It doesn't end. It can't just be said, right, you've got the gospel, right, that's you. It doesn't end. It's that perspective that Paul, when he, when he tells Timothy, uh, it's that perspective that Paul has when he tells Timothy, preach the word, preach the gospel. He was talking about the church. He was talking about God's people. The word that is able to make Timothy and his hearers wise for salvation. The word that was able to teach, equip, correct, rebuke, even train in righteousness the people in the church. It's much more than evangelism. It is that. That will be part of it. But it's the gospel brought to bear on all of, our, all of life. Training people not only to know the gospel and make a decision for Jesus, but to actively live out the gospel in their lives. And bring the message of God's grace to bear on their relationships within the church and outside the church family. And when you have this perspective, then it's not really about doing church as an event or as a thing you go to. It's much more about being the church in an area. Being the church amongst a society. Allowing that society to see the good works that the ministry of the word amongst us produces. Again, look at chapter 3, verse 17. So if that then is the case, it begs the question, what becomes the purpose of the church gathering? I ask that as an open question. I think the answer has more to do with equipping the saints for the work of ministry, to quote Paul from Ephesians 4, than it has anything else. It also, I think, means that the church must be more than simply the gathered congregation hearing a sermon. I believe that is an absolute integral part. Indeed, I would say it is the catalyst for everything else which takes place in the church. But we must remember this point. The word is sufficient for equipping the saints. The sermon is not. The word is sufficient. The sermon is not. Good expositional sermons are necessary. I would say they are absolutely vital to the health of a church. But they are not sufficient. We must have the word being central, not only on the Sunday services, but in every part of church. Our people must be getting the word every day, not just twice on a Sunday, once on a, on a Wednesday. Again, do not mishear what I'm saying here. The gatherings of God's people will always be important and necessary for us. It is important, it is vital that we gather. But I think we must move away from a model which gives so much weight to Sunday services that there is no room or there is no energy or there is no time for anything else. I think we need to move towards, what we need to move towards is to see the church more as a place where we are equipped and trained in righteousness and then sent out. A place where the word is central to our lives and relationships so that we are able to live upright and godly lives. 
not only in the church services, but as the church in our daily lives, amongst the pagans in our workplaces, in our shops, and in our streets. And that brings us very nicely to the second thing that we need to look at. And this for me, this one point for me was the real paradigm shift. Gospel ministry must be about people. That might sound utterly stupid and obvious. But again, think very carefully about it. Very often we consider church, discipleship, the ministry of the church in terms of running events and running programs. We set a time, we get a program, we invite people along and we, we, we do it. But in a culture, in our culture, which is so very time poor, is that really the best way forward? If our church activities consist only of programs and meetings, then it puts a lot of pressure on already busy time schedules. It's the most common complaint I hear from people. We just don't have time to do these things. We are so busy. There are so many other things to be doing. Part of the problem, again, is that we think of church in terms of meetings and events. But what if we thought of church more in terms of relationships with other people? You see, if we take what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 2, his method of discipleship was more about identifying people and training them, or discipling them might be a better way of putting it. Now, the specific application in 2.2 was particularly to leaders. But I don't think it's wrong for us to take the principle and apply it to other relationships within the church as well. To think of discipleship as something that happens not in meetings alone, but through teaching in a relationship with others. And that, to my mind anyway, fits very much with the idea of the Great Commission. Discipleship, we're called to do it within the context of a community, in the context of having relationships. Paul did not plant churches on his own. He needed people. And he invested in people in order to carry out the work. It's the people who are the key to gospel growth. There is no gospel growth if there is no people. Very simple. As Paul trained Timothy, he was not only passing on a message, but much more than that. He was passing on an entire method of ministry, as we've seen. Remember what he said in chapter 3 to Timothy. Here is one of the big things I think we need to get. A lot of gospel work, a lot of gospel work is actually caught and not taught. That is, our people need to be able to see how the gospel affects everyday life before they really get it, before the light bulb comes on, before it becomes a reality, very real to them. Very often the church has been so good And rightly so at getting the message right. But very poor at actually being able to visibly display it. Display that message in the relationships we have. It's sad but it's very true. One of the most common complaints uh, and objections to Christianity is that the church is a bunch of hypocrites. And now that may or may not be true. But it should cause us, it certainly does for me, to question 
question ourselves, ask, are we seriously living out this faith that we profess before the watching world? The church's gospel proclamation must be like television and not just radio. It must be both audible in what we preach and also visual in what people see. And that makes our relationships, relationships within the wider church, so vital. But it also means, I think, we need to move away from a place where we are so heavily dependent upon programs and meetings and towards a place where we are prioritizing relationships with other people. And there are, I think, I think two parts to this. Relationships within the context of the church itself and then relationships outside of the church. So in the church itself, what would it look like uh, if our ministry was more about people? Well, I think the first step in this would be to see that God gives gifts to his church. Those gifts are for the benefit of the whole church. And those gifts are not programs or meetings or courses. They are gifts given to people. So we need to look firstly at the gifts that people have and try to build our ministry around the gifts that God has given to the church. And get people, rather than trying to fit people into existing structures, try and fit our ministry around people's gifts. For example, say we wanted to, as a church, start a youth work amongst teenagers or something like that. What would be the first step? Set up a program, get a time for a meeting, do it that way. Or would it be to identify someone with the gifts to communicate the gospel to teenagers? And having identified that person, give them the scope to go away and build a ministry around those gifts that they have. Give them support and the help they need, but allow them to use their gifts to do the work of the gospel amongst those teenagers. Building gospel ministry around people rather than simply trying to fit people into existing structures. But I think we can go further and say that gospel growth and discipleship, if they happen best in the context of relationships, then we should try and move away from formal meetings towards informal uh, one-to-one or equivalent type things. Now, I am absolutely sold on the idea of one-to-one ministry. I have seen it work so well. I have watched the approach make real differences in the lives of young men. More discipleship and gospel growth has happened through that type of ministry than all the meetings I have ever conducted in my life. I can say that categorically. And the beauty of such a method is that it uses both teaching and relationships To help people grow in the gospel. In these type of meetings, uh, growth happens as the gospel is clearly presented. People meet to study the Bible. To talk about how the gospel affects their lives. To be open with one another. But much more happens than that. For this teaching happens in a modeling relationship. That is the mentee actually sees the life of the mentor and gets to see how they put the gospel into practice in their lives. It means not just hearing the gospel, but actually seeing it lived. 
and it is an incredibly powerful and effective ministry. At least in my experience it has been. It's not a program, but it is based on a relationship between people. Now please, again, do not mishear me here. I'm not saying that we don't need programs and meetings. We will always need those. We will always need structures that is common sense. But I, I believe more growth will be seen in people through relationships than just through attending meetings and going through programs. That's why things like mentoring for teenagers, mentoring for students is so vitally important. But it takes a lot of effort. It takes energy. It means you have to put your life on display. Not so that people can see how pious you are, but so that people can see the gospel at work. See how you apply it in the situations your life is in, you come to in your life. I think we need to take this approach also a stage further. Not only to look as, at discipleship through relationships, but also to look at training our people in this way as well. Um, and I put training in here as a different category. Usually the way we train our people uh, has been through theological colleges, historically. But there are a number of problems with that. I think I've spoken about this before. Firstly, theological uh, colleges train people in theology, and that is right and that is good. But the problem is it doesn't necessarily train people for ministry. There shouldn't be a difference between those two. But in my experience, there often is. Theological colleges give, a lots of the, give the theory, but sometimes without the practice. Please do not mishear me once again. I am not saying theological colleges are bad. I am saying they are vital. But I think... One of the best ways for us in which we can multiply the growth of the gospel in a local context is to train more workers. The other big problem with theological colleges is they are very expensive. So a much more local approach, I'm afraid, is required. To take the exact model that Paul gives to Timothy, we need to identify reliable men who will then be able to pass on the gospel to others. Identify the men, train them, equip them, and send them. And in this way, we multiply the number of people discipling other people. But these people need trained. I would refer you to the Trellis and the Vine book. If you want to know more about that, um, I don't have time tonight to go into it in detail. But again, that training needs to be done locally. It needs to be done within the context of a church. Again, I think it's best done in a mentoring relationship. Identifying people with particular gifts of teaching and with godly character who will be able to train, we will be able to train and then release them to go and disciple other people. And the process starts again. Um, again, if I had time, I would, I would show you, I think, that this approach is simply what the Great Commission implemented looks like. Multiplication of discipling relationships within the church. But what about ministry then to those outside the church? How do we reach the lost pagans outside the church buildings? If they're not going to come in and hear the gospel, 
How are we going to go out to them? Well, I think the answer in large part lies, again, thinking in terms of discipling people rather than about running courses or programs in the church. Courses and programs will have their place. Christianity Explored is a valuable resource that we should use. Things like that are great. But if we're to take a survey of all of you tonight and ask, what were the main factors in you becoming a Christian? How many of us would say that it was through the influence of a Christian friend or a person they knew who was a Christian? I would hazard a guess that a majority of us, if not maybe even more than that, uh, would say that that's, that was the case. You see, if we're really serious about reaching people, then again, the only way to connect with those outside is to have a meaningful relationship with them. It's not rocket science. You need a relationship. How can we make the greatest impact on our society? What if every single person in St. Peter's was equipped and confident enough to share the gospel with the people they meet in everyday life, in their daily routine? How much gospel growth would we see? And taking the long-term view of discipleship, working on those relationships we have with people outside the church and making a real difference. Taking the long-term approach. Would it impact the culture? Would it allow people to hear and see the gospel being lived out before their very eyes? I think it would. But here's the big thing. If we make church more about meetings and programs and evangelistic courses, we will greatly reduce the time any of us have to use and work on our relationships with those outside the church, seeking to bring them to know Christ. Now let me say at this stage um, that I'm putting these things out there so that we can think about them. Uh, In true emergent style, Uh, I want to start a conversation. Um, These things may or may not be right for us in Dundee. I think they're biblical. I think they would work. No doubt others will not be sure and might be able to point out weaknesses and flaws in it all. I don't say these things are the the definitive plan for us to use, uh, but only as a a way for us to to think seriously about how we put the lessons of the pastoral epistles, the priorities that Paul speaks of there, into practice today. For I'm coming increasingly to the conclusion that the current model that we have in this congregation is getting more and more unsustainable. As we have grown in numbers over this last number of years, there is more and more work needing to be done, but that has not been matched with more people entering the harvest fields. I don't think we can continue as we are. And that's why I think we need to think very seriously and think, think, think through these things. Now, in many ways, that has been a totally inadequate summary, and there's far more that needs to be said, that could be said. But I hope it's a start for us. And let me very briefly speak about the last thing I want us to consider, and that is the very clear theme in 2 Timothy that ministry is costly. It will cost us a lot. And that's not even in terms of money. I don't even mean money. 
The one thing we don't have in our society is time to do anything. The big cost to us will be giving up other things to be involved in the ministry of the church, building relationships with others in the church and outside it. That won't happen overnight. And it will mean a rethink of our priorities as husbands, as wives, as senior citizens, as office workers or whatever, students. The easy way out for us uh, would be to hire more staff to do the work for us. I'm afraid that is a luxury we do not have. So it means sacrifice in terms of time and effort on all our parts to be the church in our daily lives. To work on the relationships with gospel intentionality. The coin that phrase from Timus and Chester. I don't know how many of you remember Libin, the Indian guy that was with us for a while. I was actually talking to him yesterday when I was finishing this off. And I'll tell you what he told me. He said this. He said, I have benefited so much from meeting up to study the Bible with you. That's what he said to me. I don't say that to blow my own trumpet. I say it to highlight the benefits of taking a long-term view and working on the relationships that we have with people. I honestly do not know how many hours I spent with Libby. Talking and discussing issues. It was a lot. And I don't know how many hours David spent with Libin. It was a lot. And I don't know how many hours Andy Robertson spent with uh, Libin before that in the CU. It was a lot. But you know he's doing really well now. He's even studying the Bible over the internet with his mother. It was worth all the effort. Wouldn't it be great if we could help more people like Libin in Dundee? Like we saw in the morning, in, uh, this morning in 2 Timothy, Paul's vision and goal were always for the gospel. To make sure it was proclaimed and lived in the church and to the very ends of the earth. That remains the same for us in this city at this time. This is where we have been called to serve. This is the place God has put us in his wonderful providence. And it is so important that we think through how we apply these lessons and priorities that Paul has laid out in the New Testament for us. We are Christ's ambassadors in this city along with all the other Christians. It will be us that God uses to bring the gospel to this city. That is the way God works. So I hope and I pray, I really do, that we will indeed think through these things very seriously. And may God by his grace direct and equip us for the task. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the message of 2 Timothy. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and of Timothy in their faithfulness to the gospel, in their desire to see people transformed and renewed by it. We pray for our city. We pray that you will help us reform and and transform ourselves through the power of your grace and your mercy, that we would be so transformed as to make a difference to the lives of those around us. We pray, Lord, that we will be intentional 
in our relationships, seeking to bring people to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you will help us to do this, to have the confidence and the abilities to be able to be witnesses for Jesus Christ wherever you have placed us. And we pray, Lord, for a mighty working of your Spirit to draw people to that saving knowledge of the truth, that they may be brought into your church, transformed and renewed to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.